Thank you so much for coming out today to worship the Lord on a day that, well, they were saying it's going to get hot, right? Is it hot yet? Is this hot? Nothing. This is nothing, right? Seriously, thank you for coming out today. I know it takes a little extra effort when it's really cold and when it's really hot. So thank you for coming out today. I see a couple of people I don't know. My name's Eric. I'm the teaching pastor here. Our lead pastor, Tom, is away on holiday, and he's coming back tomorrow. So I have the privilege of bringing you a message today. Please turn in your Bibles or your phone. If you have a phone, yes! Great. Turn your phone on and uh, go to the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 2. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 910. So, um, why Acts chapter 2? A few weeks ago, Tom brought a message on the day of Pentecost. And it invigorated me. And I've been thinking about it ever since and turning it over in my mind, and reading it, and rereading it, and studying it. And I really feel clear this morning that God has a message based on Acts chapter 2 for this church here in Panton. A very clear message. Now listen to me. When you go to an art gallery and you look at modern art, you say, oh, what does it mean? And maybe, there's, maybe it means this to me and this to you. Sometimes you go to a movie and you walk out after the movie and you say to your spouse or your friend, you say, wow, what did you get out of it? What did you think of it? And there's all kinds of answers. Not today, my friends. Today, when you walk out of this place, I want you to know three things. Absolutely clear. Whatever else I say, the times we're in, number one. The times that we live in today. Secondly, the message for those times. And thirdly, the incredible, life-changing power of that message. The times we live in, the message for the times, and the power of that message. Don't miss it. Don't go walking out of here and say, I don't know what that guy was talking about. Don't say it. Go out of here and know what my message is today. And I trust it's from God. So, just a brief beginning here. Acts chapter 1, just turn the page over or flip your phone over to Acts chapter 1. And, and Jesus is there. He says in verse uh, 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they were to wait for the power, wait for the promise, wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The power is the Holy Spirit. The purpose is to be a witness. Yes, a witness. So what happens? The rest of the chapter unfolds. They pick a replacement for Judas. And then Acts chapter 2 arrives on the scene, the day of Pentecost. 
and the Holy Spirit comes upon them like a wind, a rushing wind. The most exciting thing you could ever imagine in your entire life. The Holy Spirit comes and they all begin preaching and speaking the mighty works of God in other languages. And the people say, what's going on? I hear my own tongue being spoken. You see, the language barrier is broken down. Go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Go all the way back to Genesis. Go all the way back to the Old Testament. And you see that God now, with purpose, is breaking down the language barrier. And then a couple of smart Alecs say, huh, they're drunk. They've had too much wine. Other people say, if you notice again in in Acts chapter 2, verse 12, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others mocking say they're full of new wine. So Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon the first Christian sermon based upon the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that sermon is a prototype. It is a prototype, meaning that it is an example that you and I can use today in our lives. It has relevance. Now, I am not going to have time to go through a detail. All I'm going to do is scratch the surface of what this sermon is. So it begins in chapter 2, verse 14, and it includes three quotes from the Old Testament. I'm just going to read down through verse 21. So 14 to 21. Now, hear God's word. Hear God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Brothers and sisters this morning, give ear. Give ear. Listen. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's nine in the morning. You've got to be kidding me. We always wait till noontime, right? That's supposed to be a joke, right? It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now Peter quotes from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, and here's what the prophet Joel says. In the last day, It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. That great and magnificent day. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for his word. So Peter, this is the beginning of the sermon. Peter preaches a sermon to a specific people at a specific time under a certain and specific circumstance, right? He's answering the question, what does this mean? So, what does he do? He quotes scripture. He takes the word of God, he explains it, and he applies it to those specific circumstances. Now, later in the New Testament, we read a lot about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. It is not foretelling the future. It is not coming up to someone and say, hey, Julie, I had a dream the other night, and God says you should do A, B, or C. That's not what it is. It is taking God's word and applying it in a supernatural way to a specific person or group of people in a specific circumstance for a specific reason. God's word applied to your life is prophecy in the New Testament. Well, who are these people? Peter addresses them. Verse 14, men of Israel, or men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem. He's talking to them. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 29, brothers. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. He is speaking to a specific group of people. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children. He's speaking specifically. And the circumstance is the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the promised Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, what does this mean? He's answering that specific question. And the answer to that question, what, do this mean, what does this mean? It means the gospel, based on the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus, goes out to all peoples with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, my first point. Know the day. Know the day that we're living in. Know the day that we're living in. So Peter, Peter says, look, here's what's going on here. Verse 15, this is what Joel talked about. This is the prophecy from a thousand years ago that is being fulfilled now. And he applies it to that specific day of Pentecost. And he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Brothers and sisters, you and I are living in the last days. We are living in the last days. Those last days are spread out through history. They begin with the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believers. It ends on that great day of the Lord, 
And in between are the last days. So that time frame is still going on. You and I are living in the last days. I have more to say about that in a little bit. Page two. What are the characteristics of the last days? According to Joel the prophet. First off, the most amazing thing is that the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And then Joel goes on to explain what he means by that. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What do we get from that? The outpouring of the Spirit has no regard for gender. It does not pick and choose and say only the ladies get it or only the men get it. It is regardless of gender. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers regardless of gender. And then it says, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. I had a dream last night. I was eating a giant marshmallow. And I woke up and half my pillow was gone. (laughs) What does this mean to us? It means that the outpouring of the Spirit does not regard age. The young, the old, everybody in between. This is groundbreaking. This is earth-shattering. Regardless of sex, regardless of gender. And then what? Even my male servants and female servants, servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. What does that mean? That has to do with your social economic situation. The rich, the poor, the middle class, the upper middle class, the lower middle class. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter your economic standing. The spirit is poured out on all that believe in Jesus. Amen, right? This is groundbreaking. And guess what? You and I are living in those days where the Spirit is poured out on all. Holy smokes. It's pretty cool. Now, just an aside for Panton here, us guys at PCBC. Twice in this little passage, it talks about the sexes. It talks about sons and daughters. It talks about male servants and female servants. And what are they going to do? What are they going to do? They shall prophesy is what the Scripture says. I wonder if in this church have we missed out somehow on not having the ladies have more of a voice in some way. Just an aside, I wonder about that because this passage twice talks about gender. And we have our traditions, we have our way of doing it. I wonder if we've missed out a little bit. More to come on that someday. Now why did he pick Joel from all the Old Testament? Why did he pick that to preach on? Well, let me tell you. It's a prophecy about a locust plague given to Jews in Jerusalem. Where were they? 
in Jerusalem. Who was he talking to? Jews. Kind of fits. What day was it? The day of Pentecost. The day of the harvest. The day to celebrate the harvest. What happened in Joel? There was no harvest. There was no harvest. Why? The locusts came in and destroyed. Why did they destroy? Because of the Jews' unbelief and rejection of God. What had just happened here? The Jews did not believe in Jesus, and they rejected him. And Joel is a plea for repentance. Repent, repent, turn from your ways, embrace the Savior, and I will bless you. It's a perfect text applied to the circumstances of the people of that time. See, this is prophecy. This is the days we live in. We need to be taking the scriptures and applying it to the people we come across. Because these are the days we live in. Page three. Part two. What is the message for the days? Peter says, this is that. This is what happened. This is the days we're living in. The Holy Spirit comes out. What is the message for the last days? What is a message? I think Val knows she's got a smile on her face. Verse 22, the next section. Men of Israel, Peter says, hear these words. And what is the first word that he says? Jesus. The message for the last days is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is relevant, it is needed, it is life-changing. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 23, this Jesus. Verse 32, this Jesus. Verse 36, this Jesus. Verse 38, in the name of Jesus. Do you not see it? The message is Jesus applied to people's hearts and their souls. So what does Peter do? Let me read briefly the next section. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, what is Peter doing? He is rehearsing the life of Jesus. He is talking about Jesus' life and what he did, the miracles and the signs that attest that he was from God. He rehearses his life, number one. What does he do next? Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless and wicked men. Now he moves into the death of Jesus. He starts with the life of Jesus, and now he deals with the death of Jesus. And notice what he does. He brings in this crazy idea that it was God's plan for him to die. And then on the other hand, he says, but you guys are still responsible. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility in one verse. So the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus. 
Verse 24 through 32. Now he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This verse alone is extremely graphic in its terminology. It is absolutely graphic. Can I be a little graphic this morning? Mike, is that okay? You're all right with that? The terminology used is of a pregnant woman trying to hold back the baby from being born. You can't do it! The baby's coming out! Eileen's shaking her head. Yes, <laughs> she knows. That is the terminology. Death could not hold Jesus. Death had no stay on him. Death had no power over him. Why? Because of his life, he lived a perfect, sinful life. Because of his sacrifice, he took upon himself our sins, and God was pleased, and God raised him with power. The resurrection. And then what Peter does, then Peter takes another Old Testament text from Psalm 16. He says, I'm going to use the Bible. Can you imagine something so crazy? I'm going to use the Bible to talk to you about Jesus. Val likes that one. She's smiling at that one. This is what people do. This is what we need to do. He uses the Bible. He quotes from, from the Old Testament. He says in verse 25 from Psalm 16, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. He's taking this psalm and he's applying it to Jesus. Verse 29, brothers, I say to you with confidence, David is dead as a doornail. He's in the grave. It can't be talking about him. It can't be. His tomb is right over there. Peter may have pointed over the hill to where it was. It can't be about David. It's about Jesus. He takes the scripture and he applies it to Jesus. Page 4. Now we come to the next part. Verses 33 to 35. This Jesus, and there's more about the resurrection, I'm just for lack of time, you have to read through this on your own. You have to see this. Verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's talking about now he's moved from the life of Jesus, you see it, to the death of Jesus, to the resurrection of Jesus, and now to his exaltation. Our Lord today is at God's right hand, crowned with glory and all honor. And when he ascended to that throne, he poured out the Holy Spirit. As was promised. As he said he would in Acts chapter 1. As he said he would in John's Gospel chapter 15. He's going to do it. And he did it. And then Peter quotes another a scripture. Can you imagine using scripture in this day and age? He says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a quote from Psalm 110. 
It's David again. And David says, my Lord said to my Lord. In the, in the Old Testament Hebrew, it's really Jehovah said to my Lord. How can this be talking about David? What he's saying is, God the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until all your enemies are vanquished. The exaltation. And what's the summary? Every sermon has got to have a summary. Every sermon has got to have a closing punch, right? You've got to have it. What is this one? Here it is. Let all, verse 36, don't miss it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He is Lord and he is Christ. Lord speaks of his kingship, of sitting at God's right hand. And Christ, that speaks of the deliverer, the Savior. Christ, the Savior. He is king and he is priest. He is Lord and master. He is the one that died for us and bled on the cross so that we might live in glory with him. He is Lord and Christ. And then we have a response. What's the response? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostle, brothers, what shall we do? Peter brings a clear message of Jesus based upon the word of God, and it, boom, cuts to the heart. It cuts to the heart, doesn't it? What shall we do? Brothers and sisters, we must tell people what to do. Our gospel message must tell them what to do. And what's the answer? Verse 38. Very clear. Repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Turn from your ways and embrace Jesus. Turn from your sin and embrace Jesus. To be baptized means to embrace and identify yourself with Jesus. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Guess what? We want to have a baptism service here in Penn. A couple years ago, we had the world, I think it was the world's record, largest baptism service down at the lake. What do we have? Ten people maybe get baptized. It's unbelievable. Have you been baptized? Are you a believer in Jesus and aren't baptized? Don't wait. You need to be baptized. You need to obey. So Peter says, repent, be baptized, receive forgiveness for your sins, and then receive the power of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Okay, now we're down to my final charge. Now we're down to where I'm going to give the last punch. You ready for this? Okay, I'm not sure I am. The Jews in Jerusalem, in verse 37, after hearing the sermon, said, Brothers, what shall we do? Now I apply the question to us in Panton. Brothers and sisters, what shall we do? 
What shall we do? Well, number one, first off, if we're going to do anything in this day and age, we must know our Bibles. I'm not kidding around. So many of us don't know our Bibles. We don't read them. They sit on the shelf. I know for me it happens if I'm not preaching or teaching through something. It's very easy for me to set it aside. We've got to know our Bibles. And we've got to know specifically about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, the life of Jesus. We need to know who Jesus is and what he did in order to bring it to the last days that we're living in. We need to know our Bibles. And listen, this message this morning is not a guilt message. It's not a message to say, oh man, I don't measure up. I'm gonna no, no, no. This message is a message of encouragement to say we can do this together. We can do this. I don't care what happened in the past. I don't care about what happened yesterday. Today, we can do this. We must know our Bibles. We must know in particular the person and work of Jesus. Number three, we must proclaim Him as Lord and Christ. We must proclaim Him as King and Deliverer. We must proclaim Him as Judge and Savior. Because that's who He is. The very essence of Jesus is Lord and Christ. He is sitting now, sitting now at God's right hand. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The very breath we breathe is due to Him. He is our King and we fall before Him. But He is also our Christ, our Anointed One, our Savior, our Deliverer, the One who left the 99 and went after you, the Lost One. The Good Shepherd who gave His life for the sheep. That's Jesus. We must know that. We must make that part of our fabric. He is Lord and He is Christ. He is King and He is Savior. Now, like Peter, notice what Peter did over and over and over. He answered the question that was asked. If we are to be relevant in today's world, which is still the last days, if we are to be relevant, we must answer the questions that are being asked. And so often we think we know them. We think we know the questions that people are asking. And we meet with somebody, we talk to somebody, and we give them a whole bunch of answers for questions they're not asking. How do we know the questions? We need to spend time with people. We need to get to know them. We need to understand who they are and what makes them tick. We need to understand their worldview. We need to know the circumstances that they're in. Peter knew their circumstances. Over and over and over, he referred to it throughout this whole sermon. Hey guys, remember this? Hey guys, remember that? He knew their circumstances. Do I know 
the circumstances of the young lady that sits right next to me at work? Do I know her worldview? Do I know a little bit about her upbringing? Do I know what makes her tick? Do I care to even listen to who she is as a person? We must do that, brothers and sisters. We must then have an ear to understand what they're asking. And we must answer it. We must answer it. We must form a relationship. We must understand their worldview. We must know their circumstances. And then, and then, what do we do? We offer them Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't the answer to every single question. It's like the old saying, you ask your kid, what did you learn about in, in Sunday school today? Jesus. Okay, right. We must be able to apply the beauty of our Savior to the situation. We must be able to paint a picture of the loveliness of our Lord and Savior in a compelling way that says, yes, there is something different here. Yes, there is something, there is an answer to this crazy world. Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Are we in a crooked generation? Never seen anything like it. Every institution that you look at is full of corruption. I, I, I could name them, you know them, you watch the news. It frightens me to my, to my soul for my kids and for my future grandkids. It scares me. It's no different. Jesus is still the answer. God is still working today. The, that's, the, that's the message. The power of His Spirit is the same today as it was then. And what happens? A whole pile of people got saved. That's the power of the message today. You know, you read a little later on, and these people, it's all happy skip, right? They all get together and they sell everything and, they, and it sounds like a happy time. Guess what? When you put your name on the name of Jesus back then, you lost your job, you probably lost your family. That's why they were probably together. That's why they lived together in, in a communal atmosphere. Their lives were changed incredibly. And Peter's life was changed too. Peter's life was changed. He's the one that stands up. He's the one that says, okay, I am going to tell you guys the story. Here's what's going on here. Who was Peter? He's the guy, for one thing, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to suffer and die. Not so, Lord. Don't do it. I don't do that, Lord. Now Peter says, I know <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit has given me the knowledge of what happened. That it was God's set purpose and determination for him to die. Now I know that and I can preach it. Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times, was he not? And now he's the one that says over and over and over, this Jesus, this Jesus, it fundamentally and radically changed his life. That's the power of the gospel. The days that we're living in are corrupt, but they're the last days. They're the days when the Spirit 
is sending us out to preach the gospel to all the people. And what is the message? It's the gospel of Jesus. And it has power to change lives. Now, one more thing at the very end. One more thing. One more little thing. It's 11.30. I didn't go over too badly. 11.32. I want to point something out. One little thing. Verse 14. It says, but Peter, maybe you didn't notice this. Maybe you've never noticed this before. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven. Ever notice that? Peter stands up and they all stand with him. Don't they? They all stand with him. And then you get to the end of the chapter and they have all things in common and they they listen to the apostles' doctrine and they pray and they break bread and all that stuff. And and the whole picture is them being together. It's togetherness. Who will stand with me today for the gospel? Who will stand up right now and say, I'm for the gospel of Jesus? It's applicable to today, Val. Who will stand up for the gospel? Who will stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That it's a power today, that it's relevant, that it can change lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to save us. He was not left at the grave, could not hold him, and he was raised in power. Praise God. And he's seated at God's right hand, crowned with glory and honor. And we serve him. And that Holy Spirit is in our lives. Brothers and sisters, let's go out from here invigorated and energized with authority that we preach the gospel to those around us, that we get to know them, that we see what their questions are, and we come alongside them, and we befriend them, and we say, you know, I've got a Savior, a dear Savior. The power of the gospel. Let's just pray. Please remain standing. We're going to go to our last song. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you for this last sermon, that Peter, this first sermon that Peter preached. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that indwells us and binds us together into the body of Christ, the church. Help us to know the gospel. Help us to bring the gospel. Help us by the power of the Spirit to see lives changed through the gospel. Pray this in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus. Amen.